So we'll look at Westminster Larger Catechism 66. Um, and uh, the topic tonight is union with Christ. And it's a big topic that we're just barely going to scratch the surface of, uh, Lord willing. Uh, but let me let the catechism speak for itself. And then I'm going to read, you'll see on your sheet there, from John 15.5. to be our key <coughs> verse as we think about this. Uh, so uh, uh, if you'd answer the question 66 here. Uh, What is that union which the elect have with Christ? The union which the elect have with Christ is the work of God's grace, whereby they are spiritually and mystically, yet really and inseparably, joined to Christ as their head and husband, which is done in their effectual calling. Okay. Uh, We'll break some of that apart. Um, uh, John 15.5 says this. You'll know it well. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, uh, you can do nothing. So the topic tonight, union with Christ, is one of those topics that um, you probably know more about it than you think you do because it's all over scripture and it's all over how Jesus speaks to his disciples and especially the New Testament. Um, And yet it's one of those doctrines that in some ways we probably haven't emphasized enough um, and has had somewhat of a resurgence in our thinking as we go to the Bible and think through these things. And so uh, tonight, maybe it's like um, when I was a kid, I used to think of an island as like a floating piece of land on the top of the water, right? Because naturally that makes sense. It's, It's an island, it's floating, it's like a giant boat. Uh, And then you someday, you know, maybe I was older than I should have been, you learn that it's not just floating on top of the water, but it's just the tip of this mountain, this massive mountain uh, going down uh, to the ocean floor, as it were. Um, I I think union with Christ can sort of be like that. You can have good footing standing on the mountain, uh, you know, praise the mountain, fixed upon it. Even if you don't know the concept, union with Christ. But as you start to look and see this this wonderful, deep... uh, a, a solid uh, mountain. It's, it's really amazing. Um, I put a couple quotes there from a, a couple different theologians, but let's go with Calvin. That's never a bad thing to do. Uh, he's the middle quote there. Uh, John Calvin says this in his Institutes. Uh, we must understand that as long as Christ remains outside of us and we are separated from him, all that he has suffered and done for the salvation of the human race remains useless and of no value for us. Therefore, to share with us uh, what he has received from the Father, he had to become ours and to dwell within us. We also, in turn, are said to be ingrafted into him and to put on Christ. For as I have said, all that he possesses is nothing to us until we grow into one body with him. I think Calvin's starting to, we're going to do a definition in a minute, but being united with Christ, that, that Um, being inseparably bound to him so that all the good things that come to us through the gospel of Jesus Christ come to us. Uh, Just like when you uh, hook your hose up to the spigot, right? Uh, Before you do that, it's useless, but as soon as you hook it up, there's this endless supply of water that comes out. Um, So what is union with Christ? We've said the term a couple times. Uh, If you go to point zero on your outline... uh, (laughs) What is, because you can't have four points, right? So what is union with Christ? Uh, Lewis Burkhoff has a great short definition. Um, This union may be defined as that intimate, vital, meaning like life-giving, 
and spiritual union between Christ and his people, in virtue of which he is the source of their life and strength, of their blessedness and salvation. Uh, Richard Gaffin Jr. puts it this way, the expression union with Christ refers to the believer's solidarity or association with Christ by the Holy Spirit and through faith, by virtue of which believers partake of his saving benefits. Um, and that's where that John fifteen five comes in. He is the vine, we are the branches. Uh, he, as, uh, as the Father had life in himself, so he gave the Son to have life in, his, in himself. Um, and, and all those who believe in him have life in his name, right? He is this vital source of life. And our union with Christ is a spiritual thing, but it, it truly unites us to him so that we receive salvation. And uh, remember this part of the catechism says, what are all the benefits that come along with justification, adoption, sanctification? We, we've seen there's this wealth of blessing that comes through the gospel. And all of it comes in Christ. Uh, not apart from Christ. Christ didn't sort of create a gift and then leave it for us to find, uh, but it's in Christ that we have a right to all these things. Um, and so let's dive in. There's a, there's a few metaphors that Scripture gives. I know this helps me, and I think God knows it helps humans to think, what does Scripture mean when it's talking about this union with Christ? Um, if you go to uh, that next part of your outline, uh, the first image there is uh, living stones and a temple. Living stones and a temple. Uh, this is one image that we see throughout Scripture, that we are stones and he is the cornerstone, or we are the stones and he is the temple. Uh, Peter, there in First Peter, uses the language of, uh, as you come to him, a living stone, rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. The term union with Christ isn't in that passage, but if you think about it, and I won't read the Spurgeon quote, but he sort of picks apart that metaphor and says, you know, when you, when you have the mortar and the bricks and a well-built building, you almost can't tell where one ends and the other begins because it all gets built up into this final structure so that we are the temple of Christ, Right. And so that's the union that we're talking about. Um, what about a different metaphor the Bible uses? A, a bride and her husband. A bride and her husband. You might be more familiar with this, Ephesians 5. Um, and, and here, just see the profound, Paul even calls it a mystery. He quotes Genesis, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Uh, this is perhaps the most striking image. If we think, what's... What's the closest relationship that humans have? Not that you can't, I mean, there's deep friendships that are like this too in some ways, but in a unique way, a husband and wife become one in marriage. And he quotes Genesis, and then he says, this mystery is profound. And I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. Um, and that word mystery is really good. Um, you Maybe you caught that in uh, the larger catechism uh, you're thinking, am I reading a Presbyterian document? It says we are spiritually and mystically <laughs> united to Christ. Uh, that word mystically, not meaning like magical or uh, incantations or anything like that, but really with the root word of mystery, there's a mysterious aspect to this. Um, that if we're being honest with ourselves, like in John 17, Jesus prays that we would be one just as he and the Father are one. 
And elsewhere in John 17, he, he prays that we would be one with him. If that's not mysterious to you in some aspect, if you can't piece all of that together, I, I encourage you to just sit with John 17 for a while or sit with Ephesians 5, 31 through 32, that even back in Genesis, man and woman coming together, the mystery is profound. This is Christ and the church. This is the kind of union uh, that we're talking about. Another image, uh, a body and a head. A body and a head. Uh, do, you, do you not know that you are bodies that your bodies are members of Christ. Christ is called the head of the church, similar to a building analogy, but now more organic. We are body parts made up into the body of Christ, Christ being the head. Again, you don't think of someone's head as being, I mean, hopefully it's not separate from the body. Uh, you're not doing well. Uh, but, but you think of it together, right, as, as, a, as a human body, as a whole body. There's a, there's a union there. And then we've already seen that metaphor, branches and a vine, um, from John 15, 5. And so very quickly, um, we'll return to this topic many times uh, in our time together, Lord willing. But uh, here, here are the three points, three ways in which we are united with Christ. Um, and again, this is the top of the island, and there's so much more, but let's just fly over quickly. Um, and maybe land the plane here in, in weeks and, and, and years to come. So union with Christ, our mediator. Union with Christ, our mediator. Uh, this is where we're thinking of the really the covenant, which we've been talking about a lot on Sunday morning. Um, we've seen 1 Corinthians 15, 22 a lot. Uh, For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. Do you see that in language? Before we were in Adam, we were united with Adam. When Adam sinned, we sinned. Uh, the punishment that was due to Adam is due to all of us um, because he was our mediator. He was our covenant head. Uh, if you remember, the catechism spent a lot of time thinking through that. We were brought into an estate of sin and misery in Adam, through Adam. But in Christ, all shall be made alive. Uh, we now have a new covenant mediator, uh, the one who on the night that he, he was betrayed said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. He institutes a new covenant with his people, this covenant of grace, which has been throughout redemptive history. So in Christ shall all be made alive. Um, and it, again, in a, in, in a somewhat mysterious way, um, this actually begins before we were ever aware of it. Um, Ephesians 1, 4 through 5. Um, I thought I put it in there for you, but Ephesians 1, 4 through 5, right? We were chosen in Christ, in love, uh, before the foundation of the world. So before we were even, well, actually before anything was made, uh, God covenanted to save a people for himself. And even that was in Christ. Uh, so there's this big picture sense in which there's a union with Christ we have even in our election, even in God choosing us. Uh, but then we start to actually experience it. Point number two, union with Christ, our Redeemer. Our Redeemer. And you'll remember we've, in the last uh, section of the catechism, we've been talking about, we talked a lot about redemption accomplished. What did Christ do? He lived, he died, he rose again, he ascended into heaven. And then we've recently been talking about redemption applied. Uh, what happens when we come to faith and we're intersecting with these historical things that Christ has done? So on this level, what, what Christ has done, when we come to faith, we're actually united with Christ. In all of these things. 
You know, I think of John 17 again. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am. Right? Where Christ goes, we go. Um, and where Christ has gone, we have gone, if we're united with him in faith. And again, there's mystery here, right? This is bef- historical events before we were ever born, and yet we're united with him in his life. Second uh, Corinthians 5.21, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Just as we were in Adam before, we were in Christ as he lived a perfect life of obedience. Uh, we were united with him in his death, Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. So that it's not just, it is, it's an objective historical event that happened before I was ever born. But through faith, I'm actually united to Christ. I die with him. And therefore, you know the rest of the story, we rise again with him. Romans 6, 4 through 5. We were buried with him in baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. So that's life now, spiritual life. Uh, For we have been united with him in a death like his. We shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. So that we already have come from death to life, spiritual life. And one day we will rise again with Christ. Um, and, and I, I won't belabor the next two parts, but his, his ascension and his glorification. Again, where Christ goes, we go. And so Ephesians is even willing to say he's raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Now he will, he certainly will in a fuller way, but even now Christ is reigning um, and we are praying your kingdom come and we are his vice regents in a sense. Um, yeah, I mean, we could dwell on that that's amazing and then his glorification um, especially we think to the future that one day we suffer with him now one day we will be glorified uh, with him again john 14 he says and if i go and prepare a place for you i will come again and will take you to myself that where i am you may also be Uh, do you see that personal nature of christ's redemption where i go you go um where i go you go um, in my family, we, um, we used to talk about the saddest sound in the world, um, which is objectively the sound of a smoothie slurping at the end. Um, so when you get to the point in the straw where it's starting to slurp, that's the saddest sound in the entire world. Um, but the other day, I think I heard a contender. Um, Miles was feeling a little sick a couple weeks ago. He was in his room. Malachi woke up from his nap. So I pulled Malachi out thinking, let's let Miles sleep for a little bit. But then Miles woke up and Malachi wasn't there. And I get emotional thinking. He, he's just crying out for Malachi. He's like, Kai Kai, where's Kai Kai? I'm like, I never realized he's never woken up without Malachi right there, like on top of him. Um, Malachi has no chill uh, with nap time, but it really was the saddest sound in the world, but it was also precious that just in, in, in Miles' mind, it's just wherever he goes, I go. We're, we're linked. Like, there's no other reality that's possible here. Um, in, in how much a deeper way, when you hear Jesus say, I go to prepare a place for you. I will come again and take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. And this really gets to the personal nature of that third point then. And perhaps this is what we're thinking of, and certainly the catechism when it says a mystical union with Christ, 
This is really what it's getting at. Um, this personal uh, union and communion is the fill-in word. Uh, union and communion with Christ. You know, so first we talked about kind of like the covenant, and even before time we were in Christ. And then we talked about being united in his life, death, and resurrection. These are amazing enough. But what this comes to is when we come to faith in Christ, we are united with him. Um, literally, we have communion with him. And Charles Spurgeon puts it this way, there is no joy in this world like union with Christ. The more we can feel it, the happier we are. Don't you love that? Sometimes you think of Spurgeon as saying these long kind of, uh, he was actually criticized in his day for being very plain spoken. I think that comes through in, in, in that it, the more we can feel union with Christ, the happier we will be. Um, and so when we look back over the order of salvation, which again is, is like the, those great redemptive history meeting a believer, um, right at effectual calling, if you remember the catechism question says that um, uh, we are inseparably, mystically joined with Christ as their head and husband, which is done at their effectual calling. In other words, that's when it intersects with the believer. When God calls us by the Spirit, like John 10, 27, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. Again, this is in Christ. We're not just believing a message, although we are. We are receiving and resting upon Christ. So right at the effectual calling, we're intersecting with this. And then our regeneration, and this is covering ground we've already covered. Uh, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And by the way, just start noticing in your Bible, in Christ, through Christ. Um, usually it has something to do with our union with him. Here, even our regeneration, the new heart that we've been given, the new identity that we've been given. And then in our faith and repentance, we repent and believe in Jesus Christ. In our justification. Um, and then in our adoption. He predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Christ Jesus. And then even our sanctification, uh, being created in Christ Jesus for good works, which he prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And then our perseverance, he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ. And then our glorification, we saw that verse uh, before, that if we suffer with him now, we're united with him in his suffering. By the way, it's not just united with him, uh, sort of, past tense I died with him no the Christian life is one of suffering because we're united with him in his suffering in order that we may also be glorified with him this brings us into this communion with Christ this mystical union um, and I, I mean you could give so many more examples I think of Psalm 23 1 the Lord is my shepherd I shall not want and connect that with John 10 I am the good shepherd I know my own and my own know me and Jesus says by the way in his prayer in John 17 again By the way, this is eternal life. What's eternal life? That they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. So if you said, if if you were doing a catechism and you said, Jesus, what is eternal life? It's to know God the Father, to know Christ whom he has sent. Um, Isn't that amazing? I mean, that's that's so incredibly personal when it it comes to our relationship with, with Christ. And then we talked again about the Lord's Supper being this wonderful moment where we literally have, like this morning, communion with Christ as really a picture of the rest of the Christian life. And so union with Christ in the Christian life, I purposely put five things and left 
the, the last one blank, knowing that you could fill in so many more blanks, but this affects every part of the Christian life. When we start to think of our union with Christ, think of assurance of faith. You know, do I really belong to Christ? Am I, am I saved? When we think of union with Christ, I have died with him and I've risen again with him. I will be glorified with him one day. Of course, I'm his. I belong to him. Uh, or our progress in sanctification. Again, with, with the metaphor of the vine and the branches, I'm vitally connected to him. If through the spirit, he is giving me everything I need. He's continuing this work in me. Um, or joy in the Christian life. Eternal life is to know him. I get to know him even now. Um, our love for others flows from this. Our unity within the body of Christ, right? If, if I'm united with Christ and you're united with Christ and we're united, like we become this temple, this body, um, these branches, all of it uh, together. You could start filling in the blanks of other aspects of the Christian life, suffering, evangelism, discipleship, all of it having this vital connection with Christ. Um, let me end with a, a quote by Richard Baxter, uh, one of the uh, reformers. And he puts it this way, and it also sort of prepares our hearts for the week ahead of this last week of Advent. It was the greatest miracle of all God's works that ever he revealed to the sons of men to take the human nature into union with the divine, that Christ, who was God, should condescend to be made man and the next is that he will take his church into union with himself and will magnify his love in such a wonderful advancement of poor sinners that without his grace they could not well believe it and so he's uh, he's pointing to there's actually a different union of, of human and divine in Christ but equally mysterious is that is that the God man would unite himself with his people and would even pray that the Father would do so. Um, we'll be pondering this mystery for all of eternity, really, and, and reveling in it. Uh, let's pray. Uh, God, we thank you for your word, that it shows us these, these riches and, and realities of what it means to have faith in Christ, that we not only have good things from him, but we are united to him, uh, that uh, he is the vine and we are the branches. We know that apart from Christ, we could do nothing. And so I pray even this week uh, for each of us here that we would uh, find ourselves abiding in Christ, uh, turning to his word, uh, praying by his spirit. Um, I pray that uh, he would be giving us strength and grace and help and everything we need uh, to suffer well, uh, to uh, share the gospel well, to love our neighbors well, to love our families well. Uh, I pray that we would do this all in Christ uh, with whom we are eternally bound. And I pray this in Jesus' name.